Hello, I'm Natalie Goldberg, and welcome to Education from an Equal. Obviously, in discussing health in America, the first thing I had to touch on was abstinence-only education, something the United States is unfortunately famous for. Today, we're going to be discussing the issues with the way that health class tackles the issue of contraception and pregnancy. In another episode, we will discuss curriculum regarding STD prevention through contraception, but this episode focuses specifically on pregnancy prevention and pregnancy options through the lens of abstinence-only education. I'm going to discuss the issues that I have personally faced in my own classroom, as well as the issues faced by my peers all around the country, in order to re-examine and critique our national mindset. Then, we're going to be discussing some basic education regarding pre-pregnancy prevention and post-pregnancy options, and I will also provide resources for more information from doctors, Planned Parenthood, and other sources. When I took health, I was given a note packet and told to fill out three bullet points about abortion, adoption, and keeping the baby. The same thing was done for all of the contraceptive options. We simply read a textbook page and mindlessly copied down what the different types of birth control were. And, scarily enough, this already antiquated curriculum advertised fertility awareness methods, also known as FAMs. I was shocked, as this seemed like the kind of birth control that people decades ago, who were not educated on the true reproductive processes, would use. To me, tracking your temperature among other body processes seemed outlandish as a contraceptive method. Though in the textbook it did state that these were not meant for teenage girls as their menstrual cycles hadn't stabilized yet, they were still included in our packet and textbook, and, from an outsider perspective, probably looked pretty appealing to teens. They were free, and could be performed without the knowledge of their parents. This unfortunately left the door open for many young girls to believe that using fertility awareness methods, which are, in fact, often dangerous and faulty birth control methods, were their only hope. Simply giving the disclaimer that fertility awareness methods were not meant for teens does not do anything when no other resources for how to obtain other, proper forms of birth control were given. Obviously, I'm not going to describe what these FAMs are, but it is important to recognize that they do not belong in curriculum targeted at teenagers, because they seem appealing, but in actuality do barely anything to prevent pregnancy in teenagers. There are a whole host of other methods of contraception, and schools could easily discuss what types of people these different forms would be right for, and how to obtain them, rather than forcing students to learn about misleading methods, and wasting their precious time. With all of these different contraceptive methods, while they did go into detail, at least in my school, regarding what they were, there was barely any information on how to utilize or even obtain them. Because of this, students were not able to implement any of the little information the school provided them with, because they had no means of obtaining the contraception. In many cases, students will simply ignore the information, which leads to teen pregnancy on a massive scale. Then there is the issue in general of abstinence-only education, which was luckily something that I personally did not have to deal with. Abstinence-only education is the teaching that abstinence is the only moral option for students. And the real problem that I have here is that morality is the most subjective concept of all time. And the simple fact that schools are teaching something that has moral implications, to me, goes against the constitution and the prevention of religion from infiltrating the school environment. Hear me out here, and I'm not trying to lay all of the blame on evangelical Christians as many tend to do in these kinds of situations, because the issue of, quote, moral abstinence comes from many different religions. But that's really the core issue. Schools should not be towing the line of religious freedom in schools. And to me, 
That's one of the biggest arguments against abstinence-only education. From a simple constitutional perspective, it should not exist, because the morality often used to justify abstinence is based within religious doctrine. And from a logical perspective, abstinence-only education doesn't hold any water either. Teens are going to have sex no matter what, and abstinence-only education only ensures that they will be participating in these behaviors unsafely. As of the release of this podcast, there is no concrete evidence that teaching kids in schools about safe sex will lead to increased promiscuity. What there is concrete evidence of, however, is the way that abstinence-only education leads to teen pregnancy on a massive scale. Unsurprisingly, the United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate of all developed countries. According to a 2013 report from the Guttmacher Institute, the top six states with the highest pregnancy rate were New Mexico, Arkansas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana. And four of these six states did not require any sex education. Simply from an examination of these top six states, we see a correlation between high teen pregnancy rates and abstinence-only education. The majority of researchers who have studied teen pregnancy rates in the United States often cite abstinence-only education as a major factor for the high rates. Like it or not, students in the modern era have access to sexually explicit content on a massive scale. They are going to be exposed to sex and sexuality no matter how much schools try to control them. However, in the states that teach abstinence-only curriculum, they are leaving these students without any information on safe, protected, and, in some cases, even consensual sex, so they remain having it unsafely, resulting in teen pregnancy. From an outside perspective, it's kind of hard to believe that the United States is underperforming its developed peers by so much in such crucial areas, but when the inner workings of the public school system and the lax national regulations regarding health education standards are examined, the problem looks a lot more feasible. So, with this information, what would I want to see in a health classroom? Basically, more in-depth curriculum that details not only what the options are, but how to actually implement them in the safest way possible. With this, I want to mainly focus on what I'm truly passionate about, which is birth control. I personally think that the widespread use of contraception is the hallmark of an advanced society. And the more people who use contraception, the less teen moms, less abortions, and less children in foster homes, which would all be incredibly beneficial to American society. So first, let's discuss means for getting birth control. If you feel comfortable discussing issues like these with your parents, the obvious first option is to ask them to make you an appointment with your doctor to discuss the contraception that could be right for you. If you don't feel comfortable with your parents knowing about your use of contraception, your local Planned Parenthood can provide you with this contraception, often for free or reduced cost. However, certain states may require you to tell your parents if you're under 18. On my website, I have attached a document that contains some of the different state regulations regarding contraception. More importantly than even this, though, is trying to figure out which birth control is right for you. This is absolutely crucial, because schools rarely ever discuss this. Schools might give you options for birth control if you are lucky enough to not be taught abstinence-only education, but very few schools will actually tell you who each of these methods is right for, and the real advantages and disadvantages of each one. If you need more information than what I provide you with here, there is a quiz Planned Parenthood has to determine which birth control is right for you. This resource will be linked on my website. So, the current most popular form of contraception is the pill. While the pill is often lauded for its ease, consequences can arise when one forgets to take it on time. 
This form of contraception is only good if you can remember all the time, every day, which is harder than it sounds even if you set multiple alarms. This can be dangerous for students that have a lot on their minds and tend to be forgetful, because if you miss more than two pills, you won't be protected from pregnancy for the rest of your cycle, which could be anywhere from a month to a few days without protection. Within this form of birth control, however, there are two different types of pills that are available. First, the combination pill. This is the one that the majority of people use. As compared to the other type of pill, which is the mini pill or progestin-only pill, the combination pill is better at preventing pregnancy, as well as better at preventing breakthrough bleeding. In many cases, the combination pill actually will reduce acne rather than cause it, which is a side effect that many people fear. Speaking of feared side effects, there is no evidence of the combination pill causing weight gain, but you can talk to your doctor if you think you're gaining weight because of it. Next, we have the mini pill, or progestin-only pill. Most often, this is prescribed in people who are sensitive to estrogen or are currently breastfeeding. Unfortunately, this pill is less effective than the combination pill, which is why it is often less prescribed. Another reason why this may not be right for teens is that it is more sensitive to changes in the time you're taking it, whereas the combination pill can handle these slight shifts. Basically, the main point regarding the pill is that if possible, you should take the combination pill, but if you're forgetful, neither of these options may be the right one for you. Luckily, there are plenty of other contraceptives. The next two options that I wanted to discuss were the arm implant and the IUD, because to me, they fit into a similar category because they are both very long-term options that require little to no upkeep. From the many teens that I've spoken to, they state that the IUD and arm implants are great because they often don't even remember that they're there, but they're still protected from pregnancy. For the arm implant, you will have to be cut on the arm, but they numb the area and it is an incredibly non-invasive procedure, but that is something to consider if you do have anxiety surrounding knives or medical procedures. Though the implant is very small, it is technically visible, so ensure that you are in a place in your life where it would be safe for you to be utilizing a contraceptive. It can control pregnancy for around five years, and some people will experience breakthrough bleeding, but other people's periods will completely stop. In this same vein, we have the IUD, which is another highly long-lasting method of birth control that is quite effective in preventing against pregnancy. Many people with IUDs end up completely stopping their period. One thing that I found quite interesting was that the IUD was best suited to a monogamous lifestyle, because having sexual intercourse with multiple partners increases the risk of infection or pelvic inflammatory disease when you have an IUD. I think that this is something that's really important to consider for teens deciding which method of contraception is right for them, but it is something that is oftentimes not included in curriculum. Finally, we have condoms. With condoms, luckily, people often know the basics. However, only 20 states require condom education, and with this, they often leave out the nuances that can change everything. The two nuances that I wanted to discuss briefly today are condom storage and types of condoms. So, First and foremost, don't keep condoms in your wallet. I know that this is a very popular joke within the media, and some schools do mention it in their curriculums, but there have been so many people that I have heard of keeping condoms in their wallet. This creates micro-tears, which can lead to pregnancy as the sperm is able to move through the otherwise impenetrable membrane. Next, regarding flavored condoms, something that is rarely, if ever, discussed in schools, it is important to remember that these are only meant to be used for oral intercourse, and for other types, they are unsuitable. They can cause yeast infections or other bacterial infections if used improperly. 
I would also make the recommendation to utilize a condom in tandem with another form of contraception in order to prevent against STDs, but that's something we're going to be exploring in a different episode. However, if one of these methods fail, which they might because none of them are 100% foolproof, you might be worried about becoming pregnant. Or possibly, you may have had sex that was unprotected, in which case you would need Plan B. In Oregon, where I live, luckily emergency contraception is discussed in the classroom setting. However, in states like Texas, there is no discussion of emergency contraception like Plan B. As the Oregon Health Performance Indicators list states, students should be able to define the health benefits, risks, and effectiveness rates of various methods of contraception, including abstinence, condoms, and emergency contraception. However, what is really necessary for students is to understand how to actually obtain and utilize emergency contraception. Though another performance indicator states that students should learn how to access medically accurate resources that provide assistance around sexual health, pregnancy, and emergency contraception, in my experience, this performance indicator has not been upheld. The real issue here is that even in states like Oregon, where there are performance indicators outlining the desired aspects of my curriculum, there remains problems and holes in the information provided to students. In states where they have abstinence-only education curriculum, there is no semblance of effort to even begin to delve into crucial topics such as emergency contraception. So today, I wanted to answer the question, what is Plan B, in order to benefit the students who are living in these abstinence-only states? Plan B is, according to its website, a backup plan that helps prevent pregnancy when taken as directed within 72 hours of unprotected sex or birth control failure. Today, Plan B is available at many different stores, and anyone of any age can purchase it over the counter. If you have the money to purchase it, it is most likely available at your local drugstore. However, it is usually sold for much cheaper on Amazon, though emergency contraceptives are time-sensitive, so unless you have Amazon Prime, it will be prudent to purchase it ahead of time, or just go to the drugstore. Additionally, if you do not have the money to purchase Plan B or another type of emergency contraception, they are often available for free or reduced cost at your local Planned Parenthood. If you are concerned, call ahead and see their policy on providing free emergency contraception. Next, it is also crucial to broach the uncomfortable topic of what to do if you find yourself in a situation where you are pregnant. Like the worksheet from my own health class, I will be splitting this into three sections, though I will obviously go into more detail than a simple three-bullet-point list. The first option, and often most taboo, is abortion. With abortion, there are pros and cons. The pros are that you do not have to complete the pregnancy and go through the oftentimes taxing birthing process, as well as the fact that you do not have to go through the economic hardships of prenatal and postnatal medical care. The cons, however, are that it can be quite difficult, both mentally and logistically. For some people, it can be difficult to reckon the concept of abortion with their moral beliefs. Logistically, it can be hard to obtain an abortion if you don't have the money or the parental consent in some states. In the resources section on the transcripts page of my website, I'll put the links to some opinion pieces from women who had an abortion and either felt benefited by it or who regretted it, so you can develop your opinion from both sides. With a controversial topic like this, I want to make it clear that I am not trying to push a certain agenda, which I believe is crucial in the school environment as well. I believe that everyone should have the option of abortion, but no one should be forced to have one, and the information provided within the curriculum should reflect that sentiment. 
Finally, with abortion, I wanted to bring something up that is not a part of any curriculum that I am aware of, which is the issue of crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy centers often masquerade as abortion clinics as a way to coerce women into not getting an abortion. If you are certain of your decision to obtain an abortion, there are a few ways to ensure that you do not end up at a crisis pregnancy center. The first way is to look carefully at their website and look for language that is attempting to dissuade you from seeking an abortion. If you're still unsure, the National Abortion Federation has a map that lists all abortion providers in a certain area, and if their name is not on there, it is most likely a crisis pregnancy center. In summary, abortion is the best option for someone who can reach emotional clarity regarding their morals and is unwilling or unable to go through the entirety of the pregnancy and birth process. Moving on now to the second option, which is adoption. With this, the cons are evident. You are still forced to go through the pregnancy and birth process, and along with the effects on one's body, there are also financial strains that may be placed on you in terms of prenatal care and the cost of a hospital birth. It is also crucial to recognize that in the case that you do decide to pursue adoption, your condition will be obvious, and if you choose to remain in high school during your pregnancy, you may have a negative experience as a result of the social stigma against teen pregnancy. Another thing that is seldom discussed is that there is no promise of a home for your child, as the foster care and adoption system in America is incredibly antiquated and overcrowded. Similarly to abortion, you may feel regret for your decision, which can be really difficult emotionally. However, if you are morally against abortion, this may be the right option for you. It can give you the chance to give your child a better life than they may have been able to have with you. Adoption is a good option for someone who has the financial ability to pay for prenatal care, supportive parents, strong mental strength, and an inherent moral desire to keep the child. Finally, we have the option of keeping the baby. An important factor that goes into this decision that even the most modern of textbooks don't discuss is the way that the media glorifies teen mothers. On YouTube, teen moms use their babies and lifestyles to rack up views and make money. And while it is inspiring to see these young women who had a child so young work to provide for their baby, these videos often glorify teen motherhood. It is incredibly difficult, and it is important to remember that what goes on behind the scenes may not match what is being portrayed on your screen. Keeping your pregnancy and raising the child would be an impossible feat without supportive parents and a steady stream of income. You would not only need to pay for prenatal care and the birthing process, but you would also need to pay for medical care and the basic needs of the baby as it grows up. It will also be difficult to continue your high school education and live a normal teen life, let alone go to college and further your education. Frankly, this is probably the option that requires the most work, but for some, it could be the most rewarding. Keeping the baby is a good option for those who have a steady financial situation and who have supportive parents as well as those who are willing to give up education and sacrifice the normal high school lifestyle. So, to review. In this episode, we discussed the biggest problems that I see within the national curriculum standards in terms of abstinence-only education, through an examination of data from individual states and a discussion regarding the biggest issues of abstinence-only education. Then, we discussed contraception and post-conception options at length, detailing a brief synopsis of the kind of education that modern students deserve to see in their health classes. Thank you so much for tuning in to the official first episode of Education from an Equal. The next episode will be released on Sunday, March 10th, and if you want a preview of what we will be discussing, be sure to check out my website, www.educationfromanequal.com. See you next Sunday 
on education from an equal.